It was several years ago when I was at one of the churches I was serving at prior to come to St. Luke's that I received a call from a local funeral home. They had a couple who had lost their youngest child in a house fire. Now, this couple didn't have any connections to any church, and neither did any of their family members. So they were asking if I would be willing to preside over the funeral service. And, of course, I agreed to do that. I made arrangements to meet with the couple at his parents' home, where they were staying for the time being. And when I met them there, I met all of their extended family. And they shared with me the story There had been a fire that broke out in their small home, and everyone was able to make it out safely except the young daughter. She was not yet two years old at the time, and she was sleeping in a crib that was in an area that was damaged heavily, and they were not able to get to her before she would succumb to smoke inhalation. In addition to that, this couple didn't have insurance, and so they lost their home and all of their possessions. Now, I could tell that all the members of this family had seen difficult times in life. They were hardened by the world. They were very kind, but just hardened. They were the only people I've ever met with during a funeral planning time that smoked and drank beer throughout the entire meeting. Their language was very salty. And yet I could tell that under a roughened exterior was a family who pulled together and loved and supported one another and very willing to reach out to people in need. I would discover that this young couple, they both had jobs that didn't pay very well, but they would open their home to family and friends who were down on their luck, giving them a place to stay until they could get back on their feet They were generous and compassionate with their resources. And I have to say that I just fell in love with them immediately. Because of the circumstances and because none of them had a church connection, not only did I want to do my very best in the funeral service, but I also wanted to connect them with a family of faith. But my biggest barrier in doing that was actual church people in the community Before the fire had ever happened, there were people in their community from different churches who kind of looked down their noses at them because of their different lifestyle and and habits. And so they were already kind of on the outs with a church family. And then when the fire happened and they lost their daughter, there were well-meaning church-going people who came by to tell them that they shouldn't be grieving because their daughter was in heaven with God, and that instead of a funeral, they should have a celebration. And then they went on to say that their daughter's death was the will of God, that he had taken her home to heaven because he needed another angel. This morning, I want to conclude our sermon series, Famous Sayings of the Bible That Aren't Actually There. For the past several weeks, we have been looking at several sayings that we have all heard before. Some of them maybe we've said before, but as we've looked at them, even though they sound biblical, they aren't. And the more we examine them, we see how many problems really are behind these statements. The very first week, Dr. Long shared with us the saying, everything happens for a reason. 
Now, if you weren't here on that Sunday, I hope that you would go back on our website and watch that message. God hasn't preordained everything in this world, and God doesn't control us like puppets. Rather, God has given us the gift of free will, and it's our choice and responsibility how we act and react in this world. From then, we shared several sayings, a fool and his money are soon parted, what is God's will for my life, God won't give you more than you can handle, God helps those who help themselves. Now, in many of these, there's a grain of truth, but they aren't biblical, and the, digger, the deeper we dig, the more problems we encounter. This morning, I want to look at the saying, God needed another angel. Now, this is part of a group of phrases that are said at someone's death, and, and they're all rather similar. God took them home. God needed them more than we did. God brought them back to heaven. All of them suggesting that God brought about the death of someone we love. Now, I understand people don't really mean the words they suggest which is why we really need to focus on what we're saying, especially when someone is in such a tender time of life. God is not the author of death, but the creator of life. Jesus Christ came into the world to be the fullest expression of God's love for humankind. And so because of that, when we read through Scripture, we see the things that Jesus did. Jesus would heal, restore, and resurrect And all of these actions do not correlate with God taking away our loved ones. This morning's scripture passage comes from the Gospel of John. And if we start at the very beginning of the chapter, we get the full story. The author is telling us the story of Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary. And throughout the story, the author of the Gospel wants us to know how special this family is to Jesus He points out that Mary is the one who anointed the feet of Jesus with oil. And then when Lazarus became sick, Mary and her sister Martha sent word to Jesus, and they told him, Lord, the one you love is sick. And then the gospel writer just comes right out and tells us, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And even at the tomb, the author points out the people exclaiming, see how he loved him. Over and over again, the author wants us to know that Jesus had a special connection and relationship to this family. Well, when Jesus received word about Lazarus being sick, he told his disciples that Lazarus' sickness would not end in death. Now, the disciples thought he just meant that Lazarus wasn't all that sick and he'd be okay. But what Jesus really meant was that the end of Lazarus' story was not about death. A couple days later, he told the disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep and we go to Bethany to wake him up. Again, the disciples don't quite understand what's going on And so they tell him, Jesus, if Lazarus has fallen asleep, that's a good thing. He'll get his rest, and he'll feel better, and he'll recover. And you can only imagine Jesus kind of shaking his head. And so finally, he's very direct, and he said, Lazarus has died. 
and I'm going back to Bethany to raise him from the dead. Well, on his return, going to Bethany, Martha and then her sister Mary would run out to meet Jesus, and they would cry out, Lord, if you would have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus, understanding that he had gone back to revive Lazarus, to raise him from the dead, he knew that all of their grief would turn to joy. And yet in that moment, he sees them weeping. He sees the other family and friends gathered there. And in that moment, Jesus weeps with them. When we face the darkest times of our life, when someone we love has passed away, we know that we do not grieve alone, that Jesus is with us. And that death is not the end. But when we face those dark times in life, I think there are three things that can help us in those moments. The first is to run to God. Martha ran out to meet Jesus before he ever arrived at her town. She had received word that he was on his way to Bethany. And so she got up and ran out to meet him in the road and she cried out, Lord, I know that my brother would still be alive if you would have been here. And then she continues, and she said, And even now, I know that God would grant you anything you asked. You can almost hear the sense of hope, just a a shred of hope in her statement. And so Jesus tells her, Lazarus will rise again. But she can't quite believe it. It's as if her mind knows what Christ can accomplish. But her heart is so sad and broken that she just won't let herself believe it. And so even though Jesus tells her straight out, Lazarus will rise again, she can't hear that in the way that her heart wants to. And so she reframes it and she repeats back to Jesus, I know that Lazarus will rise again at the resurrection of the last day. You can hear she has a hint of hope. She goes back to the house and she tells Mary, Jesus is asking for you. And Mary gets up to go and meet Jesus. But what I find interesting is that she didn't go with Martha when Martha first went out. Now, I'm sure that when Martha received word that Jesus was on his way, that Mary knew about it as well, but she stayed behind. I think there are times in our lives that the grief we experience is so tender and so overwhelming that even the thought of comfort brings about pain. The thought of being vulnerable to God, we worry that the walls that we've set up will come crumbling down, and those were the walls that were helping us to stand up and just exist in those moments. But even in our darkest times, our deepest grief, run to God. Martha whispers to Mary, the teacher is here and he's calling for you. Mary gets up and she runs out to meet Jesus and she falls down at his feet and she cries out almost the same words, Lord, I know that my brother would still be alive if you would have been here. And then she begins to weep. Now, it's interesting because she doesn't have any word of hope. She doesn't continue, and even now I know you could do something. 
She just says, my brother wouldn't be alive if you would have been here. And I think we hear anger in her voice. Remember that she and Martha had sent word to Jesus. They were asking him to come. They wanted him to heal their brother when he was sick. And now she falls at the feet of Jesus and she cries out, if you would have been here, I know my brother would still be alive. Both Martha and her despair and and Mary and her anger brought that to Jesus. And that's what we're encouraged to do. When we face the darkest moments in life, we're encouraged to run to God. Now, when we experience those times of grief, we'll have a range of emotions from anger to despair, from times that we question and even seem to lose some of our faith and doubt. Yet God can handle all of our thoughts and feelings. Be honest with God. God knows what we are going through anyway. Run to God. Run to Jesus with your despair. Run to Jesus with your anger or your doubts and questions. Because Jesus will meet you and and hear the words. He's calling you. Jesus wants to be with you in those moments. In December of 2012, there were 20 children and six adults who lost their lives in the Sandy Hook school shooting. David and Francine Wheeler had two children at the school that day, their nine-year-old son, Nate, who survived, and their six-year-old son, Benjamin, who didn't. In the weeks following that tragedy, the Wheelers, along with their church family at the Trinity Episcopal Church there, established the Ben's Lighthouse Foundation in honor of their son, Ben, and his love for lighthouses. They used the lighthouse as a motif for their ministry. They wanted the children and the youth of that school area to understand that they could find light again, that there was still joy in the world, and that they had the capacity to make the world a brighter place. So they began after-school programs and missional projects. And one of their first mission projects was to come to Oklahoma in the summer of 2013. A group of adult volunteers brought 19 teenagers here to help with the cleanup efforts after the Moore tornado. When they came, they worked at several different houses but they also visited the site of the Plaza Towers Elementary School where seven children had lost their lives because of the tornado. And you can imagine, for these 19 teenagers, it had only been six months since the tragedy in their hometown, and here they were at another elementary school, and their grief was very, very real. They were encouraged to share their emotions, their anger, their doubts, their questions. They were encouraged to go to God in prayer and be honest with God. And what they found is that the more they shared and the more honest they were, the better able they were to grieve. And that while they grieved, they were still able to experience joy. And that throughout that week, they could make a difference in the world and they could make the world a brighter place. Run to God in those dark moments of life. 
Second, we need to remember that we do not mourn alone. Sometimes we forget as Christians that it is okay to grieve the loss of our loved ones. It's appropriate to grieve. Sometimes we think that it's a lack of faith that makes us sad when someone dies, that since they're in heaven with God, we should feel excited and rejoice about that. We can know that death is not the end and still grieve on this side of heaven because those we love are not with us. It comes probably from a misinterpretation of, of several scripture passages, one being 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it says, For we would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, of those who have fallen asleep, that you might not be like others who grieve without hope. Because Jesus, who died and rose from the dead, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him all those who have fallen asleep. Now, the problem that Paul is addressing in this letter is not the fact that people were grieving someone they loved, but they were grieving as those without hope. And so Paul reassures them why they can have hope. Jesus died and rose again, and because of that, we have the promise of eternal life. We can be restored. We understand that we do not grieve as those without hope, and we do not grieve alone. Even Jesus grieved. In this story, after Mary and Martha poured out their hearts to Jesus, he looked and he saw their grief. He felt his own grief. And in the moments before he was to resurrect Lazarus, in those moments he paused and he wept. He grieved alongside of Mary and Martha. They were not alone. We do not grieve as those without hope, and we do not grieve alone. When the Sandy Hook mission team came to Oklahoma City, one of their first stops was at the Oklahoma National Memorial. And I had been scheduled to speak that day to a group, and I was part of the First Voices, First Person Educational Series. And I didn't know that the group was from Sandy Hook. When I spoke to them afterwards, we shared a long time and we visited about all of our experiences together. And a few days later, I went to meet them down in Moore and we shared again. And we talked about the things that all of us were feeling and grieving. Because of our connection, I was invited to come to Connecticut and share the story of the Oklahoma City bombing. And I was scheduled to serve in worship at the Trinity Episcopal Church in February of 2014. And as the day drew closer, I became more uneasy. I had been asked to share the story of my father's death in the Oklahoma City bombing, and yet I knew that some of the people who would be there that day would be the Wheeler family. I had lost a parent, but they had lost a child. Both are tragic, but in the normal course of life, you expect to lose your parents. You don't expect to lose a child. And I couldn't fathom the grief that they were experiencing. I couldn't see myself sharing my story in the wake of their incredible loss. 
And so I contacted the pastor, and I tried to talk them into letting me talk about something else, anything else. And they shared with me, please trust in God and share your story. And so that morning came, and I did. And after the service was over, Francine Wheeler was waiting on me. She wanted to visit I was still a little uneasy because I just couldn't comprehend everything she was feeling. And yet we sat down and we talked for a long time, and she couldn't have been more gracious, more kind. She told me story after story about her son, Ben. And in those moments, even though our experiences were vastly different, I do believe she had suffered a a truly unnatural loss compared to mine. And So our experiences were very different, and yet I could recognize the grief that she felt, and she understood mine. And so in that moment, we were brought together in our grief, reminded that we are not alone. We do not grieve alone. It doesn't take away the sadness, but there's some small consolation in knowing you're not alone. When Mary and Martha ran to Jesus and they wept, and Jesus wept with them, it didn't take away their pain in that moment, but there was a small comfort in knowing that they didn't grieve alone. And third, we remember that death is not the end. The author of the Gospel of John doesn't tell us the end of Lazarus' story. We don't know what happened when perhaps years from this story he faced death again the second time, maybe from old age, maybe from another sickness, but he would face death again, and and something must have been different. Did Lazarus expect that he was now transitioning from this life to the next? When Mary and Martha stood at the tomb of their brother once more, did they grieve in a different way? Did they understand that they would be reunited with their brother Lazarus, and not only him, but all of their loved ones, and with Christ himself, when someday, when they would pass over into eternal life? There must have been something different, because they had a greater understanding that death is not the end. We know that. We know that we can still grieve on this side of heaven, even while we hold this true, that death is not the end. We trust in God. We know that in the darkest moments of our lives, that the light of Christ still shines. Darkness has not overcome it. Even when we face a night that seems unending, we know that the light of morning will dawn again. Reverend William Sloan Coffin was a very famous pastor. He passed away about 11 years ago, but he's still an influential voice today. He was made the senior pastor of the Riverside Church in New York City in 1977, and he was a leading voice for peace and social justice. In 1983, his 24-year-old son, Alexander, was a student at Boston University, And Alex and his friend were driving home one night in January after a late game when there was a winter storm. And because of the weather conditions, the road conditions, he missed a curve. And the car he was driving plunged into the icy waters of the Boston Harbor. His friend was able to break out and swim to safety, but Alex lost his life that night. Now, because his father was a pastor, 
there were several pastoral friends who offered him Bible scriptures to read and consider to comfort him. There were several people who gave him sayings, many of which we have looked at the past several weeks. And he was trying to endure them all until finally one woman told him, you know, I just can't understand the will of God in situations like this. And he just lost it. He lashed out and he said, I'll say that you don't understand the will of God because this isn't it. He found no comfort in the thought of God as as one who took his son away from him. He knew that God was the creator of life. He knew that was scriptural. He knew that God loved him and his son. And he knew in those final moments that God was there for Alex. He read in his sermon, The one thing that should never be said to someone when someone dies is, It is the will of God. Never do we know enough to say that. My own consolation lies in knowing that it was not the will of God that Alex die, that when the waves closed over the sinking car, God's heart was the first of all our hearts to break. God's heart is the first to break when we lose someone. And God is first there being present with our loved ones, bringing comfort and reassuring them as they pass from this life to the next. God is not the cause of it. Reverend Coffin would go on to say that all of the things that people said about it being the will of God and God taking his son from him, he knew that they weren't true. He never could imagine that God was going around the world with his finger on the triggers of guns or his hands on the steering wheels of cars that would crash, he understood that God was present with us and with our loved ones. He would close the end of his sermon by saying, And finally, I know that when Alex beat me to the grave, the finish line was not Boston Harbor in the middle of the night. If a week ago last Monday a lamp went out, It was because, for him at least, the dawn had come. We do not grieve as those without hope, and we do not grieve alone. We know that the light shines even in our darkest moments, and the darkness has not overcome the light of the world. Christ died and rose again that we might know eternal life through him. And so when we face the darkness of night that seems unending, remember that the morning light of dawn approaches. It's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayers.